What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 70. Everybody expected me to be gay, and at some point I was going to come out, and it was going to be fabulous, and all that stuff, but that never was the case. Ellie Dote is a 41-year-old queer transgender woman whose past includes time spent in full-time ministry within evangelical Christian communities and voting. She began her transition to become Ellie two years ago, and since that time, launched her web design and branding business, Ellie Girl Creations. In her spare time, she still works within the evangelical church and surrounding community to share her story with the belief that by sharing our stories, we build acceptance and understanding. I'm so excited to have Ellie on the podcast today. She reached out to me a little while ago, and then after watching a speech that she gave at the Women's Day March just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I gotta get this woman on the podcast. Uh, we get into some really interesting conversations around uh, around binaries, binary thinking, and how that kept her kind of trapped in this world of thinking that she was gay for a long time uh, when, the, when that wasn't the case. Uh, so interesting. Uh, Ellie also shares about halfway through this podcast episode uh, some information about her health that she has actually never talked about publicly before. And I mean, like all things on this podcast are, it's some really vulnerable stuff. So, so I would hope that we would be able to hold this as a community really well. She, she's open to talking about it. Um, we had a long conversation afterwards as to whether she even wanted me to to include this in the episode, uh, and and she said no. I I, I do want to talk about this, um, but but it's it's her first time talking about it publicly. Uh, so let's hold that. Let's hold that well. 
no announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Ellie, hi, welcome. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Well, it's my pleasure. So to start, this is a question I ask everyone, uh, but how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Well, I identify as a queer transgender woman. Um, and goodness, you know, my faith has, it, it's, it's a long journey to have, to try to understand where I, I, how my faith has formed my identity because I think I, I was in a space where I, kind of formed my identity apart from church and I'm now just starting to reintegrate into church again. So it's my identity is kind of shaping my faith. I'd love to hear kind of more about that. Like, A, the, the forming apart from church and then what it's been like to try to reintegrate. I came out about two years ago and it was in a very... um scary time in my life because my health was really bad and I at that point in time had been kind of estranged from the evangelical world. I I had been working for several years as a musician for the local um, a local congregation that was a federated congregation of the UMC and the UCC church. Um, but realistically, having grown up in the Catholic Church uh, for a good portion of my life, uh, liturgy liturgy is just something that never really connected with me um, in the same way that mainline evangelicalism did. Um, but I had a lot of pain from my past in the evangelical world as well, and so about eleven years earlier, I had just left. And two years ago, when I was beginning to struggle with my identity and, and coming out and all of that, I knew at the top of my head that, you know, if I make this decision to come out publicly and transition publicly, um, I probably will never be able to step set foot in an evangelical church again. And that's kind of where I felt like things were. Um, at the point, at that point in time, I was so done with the church that I really, it was, it was a major thought in my head because I thought, well, what if down the line I changed my mind and all of that? But it really, the fact that I had been away from church for so long, um, I, um, I, I never, I, you know, I just figured that I had to had to follow that and come out, and I never thought I would be back in the church. Um, about seven months ago, a friend of mine invited me to a women's event at her church in the area, and I knew from experience that this church was pretty conservative. It's the type of church that I probably would have had no problem attending in the past, but now as a trans woman, I'm just looking at it going, I, you know, I don't even know how this is going to go down. Um, but she convinced me and she said, you know, it, it's, it'll be fine. I, I, I've got you and, and you'll be safe. You'll be fine. And, um, you know, I remember pulling up into the parking lot that that evening, 
and just freaking out. I probably sat in my car for a good 15 minutes wondering, do I even belong here? Can I even be in this space? Um, what if somebody says something? All that stuff. And then like, uh, uh, you know, God forbid, what, what if I need to use the bathroom? You know, <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, um, but I remember walking in and um, the first song or one of the first songs that the worship band sang was No Longer Slaves. Um, and the chorus talks about how we are, we are no longer slaves to fear because we are children of God. And that's the mantra that just kept going over and over. And I just felt God saying to me, you know what, Ellie, this is exactly where I want you to be. Um, and, and I have you, you don't have to be afraid. I I'm with you right here. And I have to say that I, it was the most amazing night of worship that I have ever experienced in my life. And it wasn't because that there was like smoke machines and like a band and all, all the fun stuff that I missed, but it was because for the first time in my life, I realized I was able to worship just as I was, that I wasn't in this space of worshiping God thinking, um, I need to pray harder. I need to be closer to God because I, I can't, I have this struggle inside me and I, I need, to, I can't understand what it is. Um, I'm scared of it and I, and I just, previously in my worship experiences, that's what it consisted of is I knew from a very early age that I, I struggled with my with femininity. Um, and as a male, that's just not what you do. And so I thought I had to pray harder. I had to go to church more. I had to be in ministry and all of that. Um, and for the first time I was able just to sit there and, and worship just as I was. And I felt really like God is saying, this is where, this is where you need to be. It was so impactful that, that later that evening after the event was over, I had to seek out the, um, the women's ministry director and say, you know what? I need to know. I, I know God wants me back in church. I know that God wants me to be around people and in community with people that will help me strengthen my faith. But here's the whole picture is, uh, you know, this is what, this is who I am. And I need to know, can I be here? Am, am I allowed? Is this a place where I can grow and deepen in my faith? And as those words came out of my mouth, I felt God really saying, you know, that is the conversation that needs to be had um, in traditionally non-affirming spaces. And so that's been my my job right now. My my goal is not a job. Just you know, I'd like to get paid for it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been it's been my goal right now to to go and have these conversations with uh, traditionally non-affirming um, pastors and church leaders and and Christians to basically ask that question. Um, can I, are, are you a, a person that I can be around or is this a, a ministry that I can be around? Because my desire is to just grow in my faith, to grow in my relationship with God. And I need people around me that will help me do that. Um, and that 
question has opened up conversations with so many amazing people and so many places that I never thought I would be able to approach, especially as a, as a queer trans woman. I, I like, I really want to hear more about those conversations. And maybe before we dive into that, I would, uh-huh. I would love to hear about, so when we were kind of talking before the call, you were sharing a little bit about how, as you were first kind of trying to come to terms with yourself, there was this binary of gay and straight and this kind of binary world and how you thought, well, I mean, you said you said you didn't think you were gay, but how that was the box you were being put in. I'd love to hear what some of that struggle was like and like what that what those binaries kind of did. Well, it's really interesting. Um I can think all the way back to when I was in kindergarten and um, my parents being called in on a parent-teacher conference because, you know, your son isn't playing with the other boys. He's out there skipping around the playground and um, and picking flowers and turning cartwheels with the girls. And, you know, my best friends throughout my entire life have all been girls. Um, I knew that there was femininity there. I knew, um, I remember clearly in like first grade being told, um, you need to watch the way you walk. Boys don't walk like that. Boys don't swing their hips when they walk. So you need to watch that and remember, remembering how I had to like concentrate on how I walked. Um, boys don't like, motion with their hands as much and boys don't get so emotional all those like stereotypical like cultural things where where it's wasn't appropriate for boys to do this so i knew from an early age that i didn't fit into the societal norm of of gender roles um but i didn't know what to do with that now this was around the mid 80s to the <laughs> to the early 90s and at that point in time, um, we were also facing the AIDS crisis. We were facing, I remember Ellen coming out. And I re- remember how big of a controversy that was to the point where she lost her job. And, um, and you know, I remember looking at that and nobody ever had to tell me that being gay was, was bad. Nobody ever did. But all of the the societal stuff that was going on made me believe that it was and and made me feel like okay well even if this is true even if i am gay because that's what the kids are telling me i was on the playground even if that's true that's not something someplace i wanted to be because it would absolutely mean that my life would be over i was either going to end up dead or unemployable <laughs> and um and so I really grew up in a space where there was gay or straight. Um, we didn't have the big long acronym that we have now, um, the LGBTQIA plus, and I don't know, I, it keeps expanding. Um, but, you know, I, um, so all I knew was that it was either gay or straight. And, um, I didn't want to be gay. So I, you know, I didn't, I felt attracted to women all of my life. Um, 
And I didn't know what to do with that. So I found my niche in the church. Um, I began working in music ministry, and that was in the Catholic Church, and worked my way up in that to, until um, by the time I was in a junior, senior in high school, I was working for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, um, helping to put on um, a big event that we do every year. That we did every year, um, still going on. It's one of the largest gatherings of of Catholics in America every year. Um, and I was helping to put that on and, um, all of a sudden my senior year of high school, I transferred from a private Catholic school to, uh, a private Catholic all boys school, mind you, to, uh, um, to a public, um, school, um, for their arts program, the, the school of the arts and, um, the first people I met on campus were evangelical Christians. And for the first time in my life, I began hearing about what it meant to have a relationship with God, that it was more about more than just a religion. And I began to wonder, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is why I'm still struggling with my faith it may, or with my, with my identity. Maybe this is what I need. And so I left my entire like career path behind to follow, um, the evangelical movement, um, which is a pretty large movement in, in Orange County, as, as you can in the mega churches down there. You, I was able to go to church six days a week. And so I did. I was in church almost every day. I started volunteering in, in ministry. Then I started working in ministry. And then I went to Bible college. And then um, I went into full-time ministry. And all I found is that the, the higher up I got, the more I had to work to just hide who I w- what I was struggling with. Um, and to the point where, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. Church had become kind of, I, not, not a drug, but kind of like a prescription medication that I felt like I needed to have it or else I will give in to this, this issue in my life. And then I look back and I go, you know, it really wasn't, it wasn't my involvement in the church. It was more so that it was busy. I didn't give it time. Um, I didn't give my struggle time. And so I, I couldn't think about it. Um, and all of that came to a halt when I, um, when I completely burned out because there was, there was just a point in time when I couldn't keep doing everything just to avoid dealing with the subject. What, what brought you then to dealing with the subject? Oh, goodness. So when I burnt out on church, uh, we were working up in the Bay area. I was working up in the Bay area. Um, and you know, as things are up there, it give, gave me plenty of opportunity to explore and, and discover like who I, who I was. 
I made a number of really, really stupid decisions at that point in time. Um, just trying to figure it out because at the same time, I couldn't let anybody know. Um, and so whatever I did, I had to do in under the cover of anonymity and I couldn't talk about it no matter what. And, um, I figured out pretty early on that I wasn't gay because I mean, I have no attraction to men. Um, but I didn't know what to do with that. Um, and so I, I fell into that pretty big depression and just started on this route of, okay, medication after medication, whatever the doctors wanted to do, therapy, all of that. And nothing touched it. And then in about 2013, I began getting sick. The doctors started prescribing other medication to um, deal with the different symptoms and things that were, were happening. And I, nothing was touching that until about 2016 when I had dropped down to about 95 pounds and couldn't eat. And the doctor finally said, you know, let's order some lab work because, you know, the first three years of treating this was like, you know, <laughs> I have no clue. I still look back on that with like, like this incredulous, like, what in the world were you thinking type of mode going, okay, three years of treating symptoms. And I, it, it makes me like highly cynical of the medical world going, what, did you just have to try every single medication that you get a kickback on before you decided, you know, let's figure this out for real? I don't know. Whatever. But that, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But in October 2016, uh, the lab work came back and the, the doctor sat me down and said, um, you're HIV positive. And I knew. I knew that it had been... But 11 years since anything had happened. And so as the numbers started coming back in, I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. It had progressed. I had had it for a full 10 years undiagnosed. At that point, it had progressed to full-on AIDS, and my numbers were not even on the chart. Um, I probably shouldn't have been alive. That forced me to come clean to my wife, who had no clue. And, you know, we had to have that conversation of, who are you? What is this struggle, and why couldn't you share it with me? And, and are you gay? No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And in my frustration, I, I decided that I needed to look for answers. And, you know, at the place we all look for answers, right? Google. Um, <laughs> and, right? Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say the Bible there for but, a second. Well, you know, right? <laughs> um, and, and so I came across the story of somebody who had transitioned. And it was the first time I had realized that I wasn't alone. And immediately it began to click. And I remember reading and reading and reading all of these stories and these accounts of people who had gone through that process of coming out and dealing with their gender identity. And every single one resonated with me. And I knew, I knew that this is what I was dealing with all along. 
so I began the process of, of transitioning, of coming out and all of that. It was at the same time I was trying to recover and and begin the treatments and everything. Luckily f- for me now, I look back and I go, I-, I don't know what I would have done if this had been 10 years earlier because things have progressed so far medically. Um, I'm expected now to live a full, healthy life, but it was a scary time. Um, and, you know, realistically, there still is a stigma attached to the HIV community. And so that's, that's where where my hesitancy is in, in, in saying, okay, this, this this should be a part of the podcast episode or not. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to try to figure out, okay, how do I explain all of that? Because it is a part of my coming out story, but at the same time, there's still that stigma of, Okay, well, you know, <laughs> and I I will I will let you know like we're we're doing an episode um with another HIV positive person. I think it's either next week or the following week um who's doing a lot of work around working with stigma and so that's something we're getting into on the podcast within the next few weeks. Well, and medication has come such a long way, but it's just there is a lot of pain and hurt that we're still dealing with right now. Thank you for just even sharing that with me um no problem yeah yeah I, it's not a problem for me to share it it's a problem yeah. of dealing with okay what's the fallout going to be because it's totally. a public forum so right well, that absolutely makes sense so you talk about um really like how how i mean you thought for so long like the, the only options that you were presented gay versus straight and there there wasn't even this category for gender in there yeah, and that was even until recently, and until two years ago, when I when I first started just struggling and and trying to understand what my gender identity was. I mean, I knew that trans was in the in the news. I knew that it was out there, but um, because I even knew a couple of people who identified as trans, but I I didn't make that connection at all because I didn't associate it with something that was even remotely who I was. So yeah, I was in this space of being there. There's only gear straight um, as a possibility for me. And after all, the kids throughout my childhood, that's what they used to say. Oh, you're gay. And I really internalized that thinking, okay, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be. Um, and it was to the extent of when I went into ministry, I I didn't completely feel like that was me, but I felt like everybody expected me. Everybody expected me to be gay, and at some point I was going to come out, and it was going to be fabulous and all that stuff. But that never was the case. And so I, in, my, in the back of my head, tried to logic like understand it and then the only conclusion I could come to was well I think I'm supposed to be gay but I'm choosing not to be so being gay then logically must be a choice and that is where I ministered from that is where I I thought you know it it was in line with evangelical thinking that being gay was a choice and so I, I knew from experience then yeah, I'm choosing not to be gay. Everybody thinks I'm gay, but I'm not. I'm choosing not to be. So, so there. It 
It has to be. So these people are saying you're just born gay. You're they're, they're just you know they they don't know what they're talking about because I was born this way and you know I I'm choosing not to. Um, I understand differently now, but it, it's interesting for me to remind myself that that's where I was because I have to realize now too that people that are that are ministering out of a space of especially within that XDA ministry movement, there are a lot of people that are dealing with, they may have had that attraction in college or in, like at some point in their life, but they overcame it. And I look at that now and I go, okay, I have to realize that identifying as LGBT, that exists on a spectrum. And like for, for me, I couldn't see my my life as continuing as a cisgender male. The struggle for me was so strong that as soon as I realized it, I realized I had to fully transition. I had to change my name and change my gender, change my appearance and all of that. Um, other people, you know, I, I've met people that have, that have come out and said, I struggle with my gender identity, but I am going to continue living as a, as a cisgender male. And that is perfectly fine. They exist on a different space in that spectrum. And we all have a different space in there. These people that are dealing with the XDA ministry, a lot of times they're somewhere on the spectrum that's a little closer to straight. But their experience tells them that they can, they can overcome it. So why can't everybody? And we're not, we're not seeing things on this spectrum that says, well, that might be what your experience tells you. But we need to understand that the experience of other people means that there are people that exist on further down the spectrum that can't even fathom the idea of being in a relationship with somebody from the opposite sex. And and it's just this whole convoluted thing that we we need to be thinking of things as less binary and less black and white and understanding that all of this ex- exists on a spectrum. Um, but we also need to understand that with that, people are speaking out of their experiences. And... Um, and we need to not discount their experience, but we need to help bring understanding and say, I appreciate that this is where you're coming from. I'm glad that this works for you. This is not where I am. And helping to bring um, understanding there. And and that sounds like that's work that you're actively doing, um, trying to bring understanding back into these more conservative spaces. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Like what what have those conversations been like? It has run that has run the whole spectrum as well. Um but what I what I understand is um from my past, I realized that there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain um because I I was existing in a space where that we couldn't talk about it in church. I couldn't talk about my struggle in church. I I think back to the men's groups that I was a part of. And I remember sitting in there and having them like talk about, Oh, did you see that game this weekend? 
And yeah, I can't believe that ref made that call and whatever this play and that play. And I'm sitting there in this group of like five or six men thinking, okay, well, what in the, what did I do this weekend? Well, um, because it wasn't football. It was, oh yeah, I sat on the couch and I watched the notebook and I cried my eyes out and then I ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's. But wait, I can't say that in this group. Can I? It's not a safe space to say that. Um, and that's kind of this culture that we've built in, in the church. Um, so I couldn't talk about my struggle in church, but at the same time, I'm watching, like, there, during the Prop 8 battle, I saw, um, uh, the owner of a theater company here in, in Sacramento that, um, he was Mormon. And he donated to his church. And so his name appeared on the list of donors to Prop 8, um, which was to make same-sex marriage illegal in California. And because his name was on that list, he was um, threatened. He had all sorts of stuff done to him and his family. Um, he lost his job. He's blacklisted from together. And it really, like, put this fear in me that I couldn't even ask the LGBT community as a Christian to say that my faith is important to me, um, but I need to understand what's going on inside of me. I need to understand what this struggle is. There was no space for me to have that conversation with the LGBT community without real without thinking, if I even ask the question, then I'm going to lose everything that my life is centered around right now. Um, there wasn't room for growth and doubt. And so what I had to realize is that it, it's very much so like what they teach us. I, I went to a church down in um, Southern California that was um, very similar to like a Billy Graham type of um, ministry. Um, and so we did a lot of work in evangelism. We did a lot of outreach, um, training. And I had, I remember sitting down and, and going through that training of we, we start with questions. We have open dialogue. We understand where people are coming from. And those concepts of, of personal evangelism are things that we in the LGBT community could really, really use as well when we discuss things with the Christian community. It's, um, it's all, it is very much so that idea of we need to help people understand their story, help people understand their struggle. But too often what ends up happening is, uh, we go in there with our hurt with our pain, with all the stuff that's happened to us, and we say, you guys are wrong. And that immediately shuts down the communication and we don't get anywhere. I've had conversations now with about six different pastors, pastors of the largest churches here in, in Fresno. Um, and each and every one of them have told me that I am the first transgender person that they have ever encountered in their life. And that tells me that, that they are ministering from a space of trans is just an abstract concept. They, I know that they're teaching on the subject, but they have no personal connection to it. 
and now they do. So for me, the importance is, you know, I don't think we're going to change minds overnight, but at least I've planted that seed of going, this is my story. So the next time you talk about this issue, the next time you're discussing this issue, the next time it's a political issue at all, you know that there's somebody in that community that you can attach a, a name and a face to that is actively trying to pursue God. And that, to me, is what is more important than just trying to change minds and tr trying to change hearts. Because I realize, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But the same thing is with Christianity. You don't con most people do not convert overnight. It's not one of those, I'm sitting in church and suddenly the light bulb goes off. Sometimes that happens, but the majority of the time, it takes place over time with relationship. And there is such a fear of being able to talk to just talk about it that um that we haven't really been able to have a conversation and that has been one of the most amazing things with the with talking to the pastors and the christians and the um church leaders in my area and i'm hoping to continue that when i move down to la so that's so incredible and like thank you for doing that work because there's a there's a cost to it. Like any time we walk back into those spaces, there's a cost to it. There is, and what's interesting to me, and this and this is why I I, I want to wanted to have the opportunity to address this, is because you know the the hardest attacks that I've I've had to deal with are attacks from the LGBT community. Um, people within the LGBT Christian community, in fact, that have said, why are you wasting your time? They're, they're only against us. They can't change. They can't. And, you know, I have to believe that, you know, if God values who I am, if God sees value in who I am as a, as a LGBT, um, Christian, then God can change hearts. And, and I have to believe that, that, it, I need to invest of myself in this work because they need to know the pain that they're causing is so deep. And, you know, it was something I actually heard on another podcast um, <laughs> that, um, you know, when we look at the suicide rates, when we look at how within the LGBT community in the church, people that are dealing with these issues in the church, the suicide rate is 38% higher if you're active in church than people dealing with LGBT issues outside of the church. And that tells me that we have a, a fundamental problem there. You know, you hear from, from people that say, if this is the struggle... And, and the Bible really says that homosexuals will not enter the kingdom of God. You know, if, if this is where, if this is where I'm at, then it's better for me to die than to give into this temptation. And that's this mindset that's being perpetrated and, and taught now because we haven't been able to talk about it. And so, I feel like we have to have these conversations because no matter if we believe it's sin or not, at the end of the day, God has, God values these lives so much more than he values 
where we stand on this issue. Now, the issue itself is important, but I start from that space of going, you know, we have to talk about this because we are losing lives. And if we're going to say that every life is precious to God, then we need to understand it and have this conversation because our inability to have this conversation means that people are dying. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Ellie, thank you so much for joining oh, me. Of course. This has been Thanks such a pleasure. Me. How can people find your work? Um, I do a lot of blogging. Well, I've been trying to do a lot of blogging. I'm in the process of getting ready to move. So it ha- it's kind of tapered off for a little bit. And I'm also in, in the leadership cohort for the Reformation Project. Oh, congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been an absolute blast. Um, all of that has taken up my time. So my blogging has kind of like tapered off a bit. Uh, but you can find me at ledote.com. Um, E-L-L-I-E-D-O-T-E dot com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I'm old, so I don't really do it too much. <laughs> uh, the kids do, but... Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Um, well, thank and, you. And, and I hope to meet you in person at some point soon. Yes, I'm sure it will happen. Yes. You can find Ellie over at elliedote.com. She's also on Twitter at EllieGirl77. Quirology is on Twitter and Instagram at QuirologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is supported entirely by its listeners. To find out how you can help keep Quirology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. Another really easy way to help support Quirology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.